Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Beer Show. Richard here once again. I'm solo for this recording, um, but I am I'm solo as a, as a host for this recording. But uh, I have two amazing guests with me. We're moving a little bit away from sort of the strict beer thing today, uh, and I'm really excited about this. Uh, today we have Alex Laufer, who is head distiller and co-founder of One Eight Distilling. Hello. Good to have you here, Alex. Uh, and also, John Usselton, who is co-founder of New Columbia Distillery. John, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to talk about sort of what these guys did, starting distilleries in D.C., and, and sort of, you know, some interesting stuff about the naming and all this stuff. But we're really going to focus on, so stick with us, what we're really going to focus on is distilling with beer, because this is the D.C. Beer Show, and we want to stay close to our roots on this. Uh, but first, let's start with you, John. Uh, tell us about what you're doing at New Columbia. You've sort of got a flagship product, but and, and it has a really interesting name behind it. But tell us sort of like the, a brief history of New Columbia and, and what your big product is and where the name came from. Uh, so we were the first distillery in the district in a little over 100 years. Our main product lines consist of various gins that we that we make. Uh, there's close to eight of them now, and uh, the line of gins and our whiskey are all under the Green Hat uh, label. Um, and Green Hat is a is the name of a bootlegger that was to Congress. George Cassidy was his name, and he had an office in the basement of the Cannon Office Building for five years, and then. Got busted and had to move, so he moved across the street to Russell and opened another <laughs> one in the base of Russell for another five years. Which, for those of you who don't know, is the Senate office building at the Capitol. Correct, yes. And then at the end of his bootlegging career, um, when he was finally arrested and decided he should give up this uh, this, this career that he's, he had gotten to have, um, he decided to write a series of front-page articles for The Post. I mean, they were all pinned by the man in the green hat, and they explained what he'd been doing for 10 years. been selling the four-fifths of Congress. This is how I got spirits into the district, how I got them into the Capitol, and why basically Prohibition was not working. And now here we are at after Prohibition, and uh, we have a couple of distilleries in the district, and uh, we're, we're happy to do so. Oh, it's exciting. And so, the, so he wore a green felt hat, and that is where the name green hat comes from, right? That is correct, yeah. yes. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Let's move over to Alex Laufer at 1-8 Distilling. Also an interesting name for your distillery. Tell us, tell us a little bit about sort of your background in getting into distilling and where that name came from. Sure. Yeah. Well, we got the start, my partner Sandy Wood and I, uh, not long after uh, John and Michael opened at Green Hat in New Columbia. And um, we named the distillery 1-8 after Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, which, amongst several things, calls for the formation of the National Capital District. So it's our very obscure nod to D.C. pride. And um, although our core lineup of spirits, which include the vodka, gin, barrel-rested gin, rye, and bourbon, are district-made. So Excellent. Yeah. All right. So um, both, of, both of your distilleries are, are focused on at least the names, are really heavily focused on dis the District of Columbia. I mean, New Columbia, the name of the distillery, obviously uh, related to uh, and, and based on the District of Columbia. And of course, Green Hat, as, as you told us about, the bootlegger to Congress is the man in the green hat. And of course, 1-8 being part of the Constitution that established right. the District of Columbia. That's really, really fantastic. Love the the whole sort of local focus. Now, what we really want to focus on today is sort of distilling with beer, which I have to be honest, 
had never heard of until I ran into you, Alex, uh, at Hellbender a right. couple of weeks ago. And, and a mutual friend of ours, Brandy Holder, was tell, telling me about that. And it got me really excited. So let's start out with process, right? So interestingly, most of, I think, our listeners sort of fully understand how you make beer, right? They're either home brewers or, or they're big enough beer fans to get it. Distilling is different, it's a different process. And the way I see it as somebody who sort of, uh, I think, understands it is beer is, well, let me put it this way. Uh, distilled alcohol is like the next step in producing alcohol from beer, right? Do I have Correct. that even close to right? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Okay, great. Yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, so, good. I'm not an idiot. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, for us, the, the beer, which we call a distiller's beer, is, is an intermediary step. So it's not the final product. Uh, in our case, and I imagine in John's case as well, it's got all the grain in, uh, all the solids and everything, and that is going to go uh, after it ferments to the still. So, if, so I'm thinking about this as like a chemist, which I'm not. But, <laughs> but so basically the, pro- the process of distilling, just, just to, to catch our, our listeners up a little bit, the process of distilling is essentially taking a fermented – beverage of some sort, right? Uh, and then and then essentially evaporating out the alcohol and condensing it in a separate uh, container, right? So Correct. there's alcohol and beer, Correct. Yeah. right? Yeah. And so essentially, if I get this right, what you guys are doing is heating that beer up so that the alcohol evaporates, goes into, you know, you've you ever, I'm old, so uh, I first understood distilling. This is absolutely true. I first understood distilling by watching a TV show called MASH. Oh, yeah. Which, yes. You know, so, and they always had this still in yeah. the tent, uh, the main characters. And I remember we had Encyclopedia Britannica, which anybody who's a millennial has probably never heard of. But somebody <laughs> my age, we had this massive encyclopedia. So we actually sure. had two, Britannica and then the World Book Encyclopedia. I had World Book. Did you have World yeah, Book yeah. growing yeah. up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so I went and like looked up distilling and tried to understand this process. I was a science nerd most of my life. So there are these, there, there's basically a copper coil. And what you're doing is heating the – what's the name for it in distilling? I mean, we're talking about beer here, but like right. normally what would you it's, call that? It's called a distiller's beer yeah. or it's a mash. Called, uh, it's called a masher mm-hmm. or a yeah. beer. Yeah. Uh, Unless – I mean, that's if you're working with grain, you know, sure. for, which we do for most of our spirits. Now, we've also used uh, an apple cider mm-hmm. and distilled that to make a brandy. Uh, you could do the same with wine. Uh, and other fruit brandies. Anything that you have that has alcohol, you can distill. So basically, the whole idea is how you basically what you described is the idea that alcohol boils before water. So as you start heating your still up, alcohol will start to vaporize before the water does. So the vapors, the alcohol vapors will come up. They'll hit that coil, which typically is in some kind of a vessel that's got water around it mm-hmm. to chill it. And once it gets to something cold, it'll basically condense back into a liquid, and then it starts running off. And that's when you have your distilled spirit from your distiller's beer or cider or beer beer or whatever you're starting with. Yep. Awesome. So how much in this – and we're going to taste some of these in a little bit and talk about them. But how much of the flavor of that beer really ends up in your final sort of distilled – 
alcohol product before, and I know in many cases, like it then goes from you know then gets it, it gets aged in in various vessels. But but just just when you're taking your distiller's beer or your mash and you're evaporating out the alcohol and it goes into whatever the vessel is called. But how much of the of of the actual flavor profile of what that distiller's beer was actually ends up in that distilled alcohol before you do any aging or anything? Well, I think it's going to be quite varied. Uh, different compounds, flavor compounds, will come through distillation at different points in the run. Uh, particularly, uh, some will boil off at lower temperatures, will come through when most of your alcohol is coming through. A lot of flavor will come through later in the run as the temperatures come up and you're still trying to get more of that alcohol off. And then you get some of the larger compounds, which are very flavorful, the esters, fusel oils coming through distillation. Uh, you, different grains and therefore different beers will decidedly produce different flavored spirits. Uh, today, for example, we tried for the first time a, a new varietal of corn and uh, in our bourbon. And coming off the still, it tastes quite different from the usual uh, Hickory King, white Hickory King. We, this time it's just a yellow Hickory King, but still different flavor. Hmm. Hmm. There's a huge, you know, variations on, you know, just like he said with the corn, you know, he's basically using a similar corn, but it came off very different. Interesting. Um, and so you're going to get a lot of different flavor kind of profiles and compounds depending on the grain that you use. So, you know, we both make a rye whiskey and the rye whiskey gives rye that spicy quality that you would get in a rye beer. If you make a, a bourbon, then you're going to get that kind of that sweet corn kind of flavor profile. And Although then, technically you can't make a bourbon, is that correct? No, no oh, you, you can. can. Oh, you can? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, A lot of people will tell you that it can't be done outside of Kentucky, for right. example. That's but that's what I uh, thought. No, anywhere in the United States. Oh, okay. It does have to be made in the United, United States. States. I, it yeah. does have to be made in the United States, yeah. but right. you can make bourbon anywhere. Okay, yes. sorry. That was a learning experience yeah, yeah, for sure. me. I appreciate it. District-made bourbon, we've got it. All right. <laughs> All right. I thought it, I thought it had to be Kentucky to sure. actually be called bourbon, yeah. which is why, like, for example, Jack Daniels is called Tennessee Tennessee whiskey. whiskey. It's a different process. It is a different process. It's mostly bourbon. <laughs> yeah, whiskey. Whiskey is is generally the same process. I mean, you're, any whiskey is generally the same concept. Basically, the, this, it's the same idea. It's just the usually it's the base grains that are involved, which right. which differentiate. And there are some other you know rules about how high a proof it can come off the still. Uh, um, if it's a you know if it's a straight or bottled in bond, then it has to be aged for a certain amount of time. Um, gotcha. So those those are okay. different things. But yeah. as far as the beginning process, it's really the variance in different grains mm. that give you the different the, the different results. Okay, I don't I don't want to get too <laughs> too distracted by this whole process. I'm sure. personally fascinated by it and think it's really interesting. But but as the DC Beer Show, I don't want to get too off topic from beer. So yeah. first of all, before we do some tasting. Uh, let's start, John. Tell us, tell us what you guys are doing at New Columbia with beer. So, what we've done in the past is we've basically distilled three different batches of uh, a little bit various DC Brow beers. All of our okay. beers that we've done are all, all been from DC Brow. Okay, and this all started a little bit by accident. There, you know, I over the years, like Alex, we, you get to become friends with other distillers and brewers and, you know, brewery owners. And so we were approached at one point that they had a bunch of kegs that had gone to an event. They felt like they were probably fine, but they wouldn't, didn't want to sell them. Sure. And they basically returned them. So, you know, Brandon's like, you know, can you do something with these? And I was like, I don't know, but let's try it. 
So, um, <laughs> that's some of the famous words from every <laughs> distiller brewer I know is like, I don't know, let's try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in our in our world. So we did it, and um, we thought it was really interesting. It came off, and so you you got like we were just talking about grains and that kind of thing. You get a really nice kind of uh, s- sweet component from the malt, uh, but then you get this really pretty floral component from all the hops, and those come through in the distillation process. But it's basically, it's like a really intense beer. It's hmm. basically concentrated. It's what it is. It's concentrated beer. Right. Um, and so, you know, we we did some, a little bit of experimenting on, on exactly how to distill it so that we got the best, you know, best results that we could get. And then over the years, we, we the first batch that we did, we just let them sit in a stainless steel tank and kind of rest for a while. Um, the second batch we did, we put in rum barrels. Mm. Um, and then the last one we did in, t- in a uh, used bourbon barrel. And the barrel aging, I think, really helps the product. Um, I think it's really interesting to, to see that brightness of the hops and the, the, the malt and stuff come through with the unaged. At the end of the day, it's not we're trying we're trying to bottle something that, that people want to drink. Right, and, sure. You know, it, that's really cool in a scientific kind of learning <laughs> aspect, but at the end of the day, if you put it into a barrel and age it for a while, it rounds out and all these different flavor profiles come together and it makes for a much more enjoyable, you know, cocktail or something. Yeah. So. Are there uh, DC brow based products available from New Columbia right now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Tell we us about a, those. We have a little bit left of the la- the, the third variation that we okay. did, uh, which is the one aged in the bourbon barrels, and it's mostly uh, public. There's a there was a little bit of other things, mm-hmm. um, but it's it was probably ninety or ninety five percent. What's it called? Uh, we just call it Eau de Brow. Eau de Brow. Okay. So so when you know traditionally, if you make a an Eau de V, mm-hmm. um, we, we felt like that's. Basically, which we were, we were, we were <laughs> right, like, oh, yeah, we're making sure. an Oda V. Let's let's call it Oda Bra. You know? Excellent, so. excellent. And is that is that available um, your distillery, or is it also available uh, in retail around town? It's mostly sold at the distillery. At the distillery, okay. You know, you know, retailers. You know, there's there's always a, a you know a limited amount of shelf space. Sure. So they want to carry things that they know people are going to come in and buy. Of course. And something like, oh, you this is a distilled beer. You're going to have there's going to be a lot of people that are excited about that, but. Probably ninety percent of their clientele are not that excited. Right? About that. Yeah. No. It's it's very hard, especially in the liquor space. Um, yeah. I mean, beer has this challenge too, right? Shelf space is always a problem, and you want to make sure as a retailer that you've got stuff that people are going to want to buy. And there's only so much experimentation people will do when you're paying these kinds of prices for a bottle. You know, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, or more a bottle. Like, not a lot of people are going to drop that kind of money to it for an experiment. So it makes sense that you do it uh, at the distillery, which, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But let's, let's turn to you, Alex, and tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing with, with beer. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- definitely the idea came from watching what uh, John and Michael were doing. Uh, also, our friends over at Catoctin Creek, Scott mm-hmm, and Becky, mm-hmm. have done some similar things. Uh, talking with Jonathan over at Port City, um, you know, he's very traditionalist in the German beer world, the beer styles, mm-hmm. and it's the beer schnapps is a very popular. Right, uh, right. Well, maybe it's not very popular, but it's a well-known category. Um, <laughs> Should uh, be more popular. Sure, yeah. And that's generally going to be the unaged variety as well. Uh, but but like John was saying, for us, we wanted to uh, work with, with beer, with breweries, and to, you know, we enjoyed the spirit, but we also wanted to... Uh, make it more whiskey-like, and then mm-hmm. age it uh, in barrels. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, 
So, John, you guys at New Columbia, you really focus more on the gin in the gin world and variations on gin, right? Correct. Yeah. And then Alex, you guys really focus more on the whiskey and whiskey type of stuff. Well, I mean, I, mean, I think we both do both right. uh, spirits. Um, we're making whiskeys, uh, and probably we're laying down more barrels than John and Michael, but they were starting making whiskey here in D.C. before we started, that's for sure. Okay. Um, and then again— I guess I'm just so much so familiar yeah. with Green Hat as yeah. a gen that yeah. I think of it yeah. as sort of like what New Columbia does, but that's, that's on me. We've, we've always kind of described ourselves as a gin-specific distillery with a little bit of a whiskey problem. <laughs> so, you know, we we do have our, our three-year-old rye whiskey, but, you know, that was not something that we were focused on from the beginning. We were really focused on the, the gins, and we basically make whiskey when we could kind of fit it in, and that's just kind of how we, we've been running the distillery. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, why don't we try some All some right. of this stuff? So yeah. Alex has been kind enough to bring us some samples today. Sure. Uh, and And this, I think, is probably going to be the first time that I have – knowingly tasted uh, uh, I think these are all whiskeys am I correct uh, well, we'll get to that but it's, yeah. the, it's the first time that I've knowingly tasted sort of actual brewer's beer right uh, uh, that has been distilled into alcohol uh, spirit is the word right. I'm looking for it has been distilled into a spirit so sure. I'm excited about this yeah so uh, similar situation to John we haven't uh, released any in quite some time. These are these are actually a little over two years old. Wow! Uh, and we do have only a few of these four packs left. So this is our beer four pack released in the fall of 2017. We'll start here with the spirit of Grampus, we call it. And this was a distillate of Hellbender's uh, Grampus, which is their smoked nut brown ale, which is all, one of my favorites. Right, they just we released were it. That. Yeah. That's when we ran into each other a couple yeah. weeks ago, I was we were pounding that. It was awesome. Yeah, so it's a great beer to to distill. Um, not necessarily as hoppy, but definitely some lovely notes from the smoked malts that is part of that uh, brewing process. And this one was aged in um, twenty five gallon charred new oak barrels, so very much like the bourbon or rye style, but. Not that long in the barrel. This was probably under two years in the barrel. Oh, so that's that's like, oh, that has that nice smoky, which comes from the barrel, but you can taste it from the Grampus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it still has, are so jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it still definitely has a, a young whiskey character. Mm-hmm. And in most ways, this would be a whiskey – with the one exception being that the brewers do add other things than grain – to their beer, primarily that being hops. Right. Uh, the addition of hops will would prevent it from being called a whiskey uh, in the legal sense of the word. Right. <laughs> the, the feds have very strict guidelines on what you can say and how you can describe things. And once you put the hops in it, they're like, no, no more whiskey. Wow. So is there is there a technical term for this besides just a spirit? Right. So, you, yeah, the spirit is kind of a catch-all or the eau de brow, you know, gives it a, a fun name. That, uh, But it, essentially it is a hopped-flavored whiskey, which would probably go through the federal government uh, hmm. and pass muster there. Well, there's, a, there's an interesting little sweetness to this, mm-hmm. um, which you don't normally get in a whiskey, which I think comes from either – and the combination of the newness of it, the, mm-hmm. the youth of this spirit, right. um, and the hops in it, I think – um, which normally, 
I don't think would add sweetness to anything. I mean, obviously, the hops are normally for bittering, but the, right. but the floral characteristics, I think, accentuates that, that sweetness a little bit. Um, but that's just my palate. Yeah. Everybody has their own, but um, I'm, I'm digging this. Yeah. That, John? Yeah. I, th- I think that also the, some of that sweetness is going to come from some of the malts that they probably use right. in the brewing of the beer. It um, is a very malty beer. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And th- we have found that the, the hopped beers come off really pretty with those, all the all that floral hop, hoppy floral notes. Yeah, but t- to get it to where it's a little bit more whiskeyish, like this is, mm-hmm. you, it needs to have a little bit more of a malt background and, and backbone. To yeah, it. I, I was going to ask about that because it does seem like like given the process, right? Um, a malty beer seems like it would be much easier and better for the process of distilling than. A less malty, drier uh, IPAs and things like that. Like, am I right to assume that like stouts and porters and we heavies and 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 malty beers are better for you? The processes that you guys use for this? I think that you know, like I was talking about earlier, and having something that's a little bit more approachable and what people like, the malty maltier beers are much better. Yeah, I do enjoy some of the hoppier beers just because it's a really interesting floral note and it's definitely beerish. Sure. Where where this like you could almost give this to somebody and if you didn't tell them it was made from a finished beer, they may not know. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can you totally know, see you know that. What I'm saying? Yeah. So like if you were just given this blind, you may you may not know that it was a finished beer. I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't have assumed that. So, I would have thought it was a sli- it was like a it was like a, a a sweeter end of the malt whiskey scale. Right. Um, definitely younger. Like I would have been able to identify this hasn't been aged for a long time, but um but yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah. yeah. All right, what's next on All the right. tasting agenda? So, of the four pack, only two were distilled beers, and this will be the second of them. This was Distilled from the Stone of Arbroth from D.C. Brow. Mm. Uh, similar situation. It was uh, springtime, and the Stone of Arbroth is a real heavy Scotch ale. And uh, they uh, found themselves with 30-some-odd kegs that they didn't think were going to sell coming into the warmer weather. And so we uh, made an arrangement and pumped those kegs in one at a time into the still and distilled it down. Now, in this case, though, the one of the big differences, of course, being a different beer, but otherwise, it's the aging. So this particular, the Grampus was aged in new oak barrels, much like a bourbon or rye. Mm-hmm. And this this distillate was done, it was aged in a, an ex-bourbon barrel that Brow had aged their uh, porter in the pen quarter. Oh yeah. Then we got the barrel back and then aged this. So it's a uh, the third use of this barrel, uh, and a lot different. You can even tell by the color that it's a lighter color, much lighter than much the lighter. than the new oak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get different characters from the beer being in there before this spirit went in. So the nose on this is really incredible. Is that yeah. is that a result of the 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 barrel? Or is it a result of sort of your starting point? Just I think it's there's yeah both factors in here. There's definitely great malts notes from that Scotch ale, from that Stone of Arbroth, and then the the additional character added from the porter uh, before that was that was uh, aged in there. So it's it's a real fun one. Uh, I find it to be more traditional single malt in that the the American single malt category is is definitely getting crazy mm-hmm. uh, and we're doing different things we are making single malts in this country like we make our bourbon and rye but then more traditional single malt is going to be aged in a used cask 
And this has more of that character going for it. Yeah. And so this was, like you said, three, this was the third use. Aging this this distillate was the third use of of this. That barrel, yeah. And that lends it to the lighter color. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the color and the and the fire uh, uh, burning has had already been leached out, right? But the flavor in this is phenomenal. Yeah, this was like, a real it's fun one. Really, like just a full flavored uh, spirit, which is often. I mean, that's one of the things about spirits. Spirits I find tend to be like have very strict, tight uh, flavor profiles. Right, mm-hmm. I can tell the difference between a scotch. And a bourbon, you know, because th- those flavor profiles are really like you don't. You, if you know what peaty tastes like, oh, yeah. you know right away <laughs> that something is peaty. Um, yep. But this is so complex that I just I'm, yeah. I'm I'm really digging this. I'm trying to not to drink it too fast. <laughs> 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 it is the middle of the day. Right, right. Did this barrel start out as one of your old barrels? So uh, some of the Untitled series yeah. that we also have is has been primarily. Uh, starting with sourced bourbon. Yeah. So this mm. case, this was a sourced bourbon barrel. Okay. Uh, when we first started, uh, this one, I believe it was probably about eight years old of the former Seagram's distillery in Indiana. Ah. Uh, this was their high rye bourbon. When it was distilled, it was still Seagram's. Now it's called MGP. So those barrels, by the way, that we have still from then is are now 13 uh, so that's it's getting up there, but uh, yeah. So eight years of bourbon in that barrel, not our own make bourbon. Then I can't recall exactly how long DC Brow aged the porter in that barrel. I believe it was on the order of three or four months. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and then uh, you know, had the whiskey in there for about two years, or the spirit of stone. Excellent. So, so that's spirit of stone. Spirit, spirit of, of the stone. stone. Yep. Wow, that is that is some interesting. That's a fantastic flavor. Yeah, it's tasty. Uh, it's yeah. real tasty. And, and it, yeah. <laughs> like uh, like John was saying about selling these, uh, this again is not something we distributed to retail outlets. It's not something that made its way into bars because it, they they really need to be experienced. They need to be tasted, and they you need to hear the story. So really, the avenues for us to sell them are the distillery itself, mm-hmm. and uh, and when we bring them to like the Dupont Circle Farmers Market, you have the opportunity to engage and to taste. But again, we only have a handful of these left. Uh, oh. They have been available for two years, and although there's more aging in the barrels, uh, ah. not of the stone, but we have worked with other uh, beers recently, more recently. Awesome, John. What about you? Are you are you doing more in this space? We haven't done one in a couple of years. The last one we did was, was probably three years ago. Really, three or okay. four years ago. Would you like to do more? Or is it? I mean, listen. We talk a lot on this show about the business. Yeah. Of of brewing specifically, obviously, um, and there we have a lot of conversations sort of in that realm. Like there, I know when I talk to brewers. There's a lot of stuff brewers would like to do, but their primary job is to sell beer. And so I'm guessing that's sort of the sh- the, where you are in this. It'd be yeah. awesome to do, but. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things like, okay, so, you know, are we do we have time in our schedule to, to do it? And then, you know, like the ones that we just had, you put them into a barrel, then you got to store a barrel. And until we open the, um, the gin garden and bar next to the distillery a couple months ago, we just didn't have very much space to store these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something that it's really great when go either go pick up the beer and get to hang out with the brewers or they come and hang out with us while we do distillation for a little bit, for like for an afternoon, because, um, you know, we don't always get to see each other as much as I'd like. But 
at the end of the day, you know, we're busy producing the gins and the rye whiskey, and you only have so much time and space in the stills for yeah. doing runs. Yeah. So you know, and obviously one of the things that you guys have to do that brewers don't have to do, don't have to do, is there is aging involved in pretty much everything y'all do. Like you you know, a brewer can produce a beer that's ready and when it's ready and in, in a matter of weeks. Of course not all beers and many beers now are you know, a lot of people are doing barrel aging and lagers of course take longer, but there's you have no options. You're months in an investment in almost every every case for what you're producing, right? I mean, in, with the gins that we make and like with the vodka that Alex makes, th- those can basically, there's a resting period. Right. So, you know, you're basically looking at four to six weeks from distillation. Closer to beer time, but still. Yeah. But but yeah. still, a lot of this stuff, I mean, everything that- but all, Yeah, but all these kind of things. Yeah. Like they, 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 have to, they have to be aged in barrels to, to bring them to fruition because otherwise it's just a- very aromatic <laughs> grain right. alcohol is essentially what right. you're working with. So yeah, I totally can like it's understandable how how challenging it is to be able to bring this in, and especially mm-hmm. on the retail side or on the sales side, if you're only selling these at the distillery itself, if you mm-hmm. you know or farmers markets, but those kinds of situations, then you don't have you don't have the return on investment. I think like you were saying, these have been for sale. Yours, uh, Alex, have been for sale for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. you almost. You're almost done, and you've got right. more coming along the way. But it's not where, it's not the core of the business. It's right. it's not how you stay in business making these kinds of things. Even though people like us love them, like right. it's it's so awesome. And I love the energy, as as John was saying, of interacting with the brewers, the collaborations, and whether it's going to be a brewer or a cider maker or another local maker or each other. Uh, you know, we were just discussing a, a potential collaboration mm-hmm. down the road. A little teaser out there. <laughs> uh, and, and we actually have collaborated on a, a, a DC gin some time ago. Nice. But uh, but yeah, we love that energy. But of course, it is is all about uh, how many of the experimental projects can we fit in with uh, maintaining our core, uh, you know, core lineup. Awesome. Well, I see that you've poured us another sample. Tell us right. a little bit about this. Sure. Uh, you know, I know it's getting excessive, of course, but uh, <laughs> this one, also collaboration with Hellbender. But in this case, it is a bourbon. Again, a sourced bourbon. Not the same sourced bourbon I mentioned before, a different one. Uh, that we had uh, emptied barrels and Hellbender had aged their We Heavy Scotch Ale, the groundskeeper Islay, <laughs> in those barrels for some time. We got the barrels back and finished uh, the aged sourced bourbon in the barrel for only about two months. Really? Picks up a lot of that beer character mm-hmm. in just a short time. Again, uh, we did not make this this particular bourbon, but um, really had a fun uh, characters from that, that beer. Yeah. We heavies are um, – everybody's coming out with a wee heavy right now. I think – well, I know that – Silver Branch just put one out. Denizens is putting one out. I think Hellbender's working on another version of theirs. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Wee Heavy. So this tastes like – I mean, there's a lot of flavor in a, that, that's in a Scottish ale in, mm-hmm. in this bourbon. Right. It's, it's really amazing to me. Yeah. And, you know, Ben is an amazing brewer. He took such good care of these barrels. Uh, the second he emptied them, he put them in his uh, walk-in cooler. So they stayed completely fresh, and that way nothing – because when you're dealing with a fresh product like a beer, uh, 
can go south quickly Very. once you empty the beer out. Mm-hmm. But he didn't let any of that happen until, of course, you know, within a few days we could pick them up and get the whiskey right in them. That is awesome. Man. I once got a used apple brandy barrel, and they had they uh, the brewer had put a, a, at least one or two wild ales. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we got we got the barrel, and we pulled the bung on it, and we we're like, "What is going on here?" Oh my god! <laughs> and we tried and tried to wash it out, and we we're like, you know, the more we wash it, the, it's just going to lose all what we're doing trying to do mm-hmm. here with it. And so I I called the brewer, and I was like. Because you know, he, he given me the one with the wild ale, and then one that was fresh, and um, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it with this one. He's like, okay, you know. And so, yeah, you know, the wild ales, trying to use them again, are. I, I think if you put another beer in them, and it, you know, it, it they jive together, it's one thing, but for for spirits, it just didn't work. Right. So yeah, it's complicated because there's a pantheon of spirits. But the pantheon of beer styles, I think, is just so enormous. And there are so many biological flavors that can be created. Uh, you know, this morning we were drinking, uh, I was in an event and we were drinking everything from sort of chocolate stouts to like very sort of funky Brit infused kinds of funky beers. And that pantheon of flavors that you can get in beer is amazing. And we all love it. And that's why we're the DC Beer Show and ta- love talking about that stuff. But it's much harder when you try to do spirits that way because or, – or like you said, like aging in some of the barrels that people barrel-age beers in, I, I can see not coming out very well at all in a distilled environment because funky spirits, that kind of – like you can take that sort of funkiness in a beer and know that it, you know there's this great yeast thing and it's kind of like mm-hmm. cheese. But in a spirit, that would just taste – bad wouldn't it the other issue is that it, it will tend to dominate it yeah so you know with with a you know a wild beer you're going to get you know some of the the grain and hops and you know some of those kind of things right. along with those wild yeast that they're using i um, mean they all come together but with the spirits those wild yeast basically become a really dominant flavor mm-hmm. and it gets to be to where you're just too far yeah it's all you can taste at some point right yeah, and yeah. it just tastes I say bad, but I don't mean bad in in the sense of it tastes not good. It tastes bad, like something's terribly wrong. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's it was funny. One of the things conversations I was having this morning with somebody is is how different people have that different line when you're talking about funky beers, right? Some people can drink a funky beer and be like, "Oh, it's like you know an exotic cheese," and other people can be like, "Oh, it tastes like spoiled milk." Right. Um, right. And and it's and different people's palates are different in that respect, but I can I can thoroughly see how that's the the range you can achieve in a distilled spirit with those kinds of flavors is much much tighter than what you can do in a beer because you lose a lot of the other flavor profiles. Um, hops aren't as pronounced. The malt isn't as pronounced, right? Um, and like you said, that I can see, like if if that yeast funkiness takes over, then everything else just goes away. It's like, right. I mean, we were, one of the beers that we were trying at this event earlier today was a lot of folks were saying like it's just funky, like they couldn't get any other flavor profile, and that was right. the one that everybody liked the least. So it's it's interesting how how this translates into the distilling world. Yeah. All right, we've got one more to try. All right, uh, this one is our own rye. That we infused with hops. We call it 
Hop Creek. Our, Holy mackerel, yeah, man. We uh, we originally uh, had named our whiskeys Rock Creek. So this was a riff on that name by calling it Hop Creek. So it's our own rye mash bill. At the time, it was the mash bill that we used for our unaged rye whiskey, our, our Rock Creek white whiskey, which was 60% raw rye and 40% malted rye. Hmm. Uh, so we distilled it. We infused the hops, both fresh and dry, Cascade and Chinook, uh, very briefly. It was only a couple hours in the tank. Uh, we sat on it for a little while. And much like John was saying about the Eau de Brau and how uh, interesting it was as an unaged spirit, we eventually decided that we did want to kind of mellow the character by aging in the barrel. So this was in a small cask for much shorter than we normally age our rye, only about a year and a half. And How then, long do you normally age? So the minimum age on a small cask for us is going to be at, at two years. And we don't actually go much past that because of the small barrel. I have the fear of over-oaking. Sure. Uh, in a larger cask now, we just released, for example, a, a bottled in bond. So it was over four years in the barrel. So I think the... The soaking, the infusion, the macerating of the hops in such a high proof, uh, this was in at about 120 proof, mm. uh, extracted different compounds from the hops than you would in brewing beer. In our case, we felt that we were taking out uh, a lot of the bitter elements and didn't get quite the balance of the floral notes that we were looking for. I, I like the bitter flavors, but I think aging in oak tempered that a bit. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it's, it's really interesting you, how you did it. Um, mm-hmm. We had this idea at one point because we were all the beers that we were doing were were hoppy. Yeah, in doing a, the last run as a, a botan like because we're mostly gin as right. a botanical run. Yeah, and putting hops in in our botanical path. Yeah, and, and infusing it that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say this is the most beer like. Like when I when I taste this, it's clearly a spirit and it has the alcohol, the, the high alcohol burn and everything. But yep. but it's the closest in my mind to the flavor of a beer, and it's and it's just it's just the hops, right, <laughs> right, right. That, are, that are causing that. But it's really really interesting. Yeah. Great flavor, great flavor in this. Yeah, it's a real fun one. We've actually this is our our best selling cocktail right now at the distillery is using this whiskey or this this spirit. Mm. In kind of an old-fashioned rye. And this is your rye. Right? This is our, our own your distillate. own rye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is just infused with hops. It's yep. fantastic. Yeah, it's a fun spirit. Let's close out the show by telling folks about your distilleries, how folks can 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 come and visit. Um, John, let's start with you. Tell folks about how they can visit New Columbia, where you guys are located, what you offer in the distillery. We hope everybody will go out and and order a green hat at every bar you go to for any. Uh, any particularly gin drinks that you want, but but visiting and I have visited uh, New Columbia. Tell folks where you are. So we're over in um, Ivy City. We're actually within walking distance of one uh, eight in Alex's facility on Fenwick Street, over by the old Hex Warehouse off of New York Avenue. And we're open to the public every Saturday from one to eight, and on Saturdays from two to six. 
we have uh, a fairly new gin garden, so outdoor seating and a patio that, that people can enjoy, especially as the weather starts to warm up. And then we have the bar inside that um, we're pretty proud of. And we do uh, two different punches um, every day. And then we do uh, kind of our takes on a number of different classic cocktails and a couple of other cocktails that we've come up with. And they, they will change, at least one or two of them change every week. So if you came once and then came again in six weeks, probably except for maybe a classic cocktail or two, they would be all completely different than when you came last time. And we do tours on Saturdays, and so you can see how the whole process works and just kind of come and have a good time. We usually have a food truck, and Excellent. it's a good time. Oh, very good time. All right, Alex, tell yeah. us about 1-8. We are, uh, as John mentioned, just a few blocks away. Uh, it's a great neighborhood to come and visit. There's both of us. There's, uh, of course, uh, Atlas Brew Works is in the neighborhood and, uh, and Republic Restoratives. So, uh, and Don Ciccio, Don Ciccio across is the too. street from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Union Market's not too far away with uh, Cotton Reed. So anyway, it's a great part of town. Lots of great things. We are also open on Saturdays 1 to 10 uh, and Sundays 1 to 7. We do tours on both days. You can reserve your spot in advance. Uh, for the tour and tasting. And then, yeah, cocktails on Saturdays. We also also have a, a food pop-up inside and wow. have some fun events coming up. Well, I will tell everyone listening to this podcast, uh, as much as we talk about visiting breweries, uh, which everyone should do as often as possible, there is nothing better than gathering together a group of your really good friends and uh, spending a Saturday afternoon in Ivy City. Uh, visit Atlas. Visit 1-8 visit New Columbia, visit Don Chichio's, visit the other, sorry, what's the other one? Oh, we have Republic. Republic, uh, uh, Restoratives. And then, you know, jump in in an Uber and go down to to Union Market, hit Cotton and Reed, and then eat a bunch of food because you had a bunch of food. But it, it is amazing to me, having been in the D.C. area for almost 20 years now, how much more fun that sort of Saturday afternoon and evening tour I just described is how much more fun that is than any kind of bar hopping thing, you know, we did 15 years ago with, with friends. Like, like you can do the bar crawls. You can – that's great. But there is no – I mean, that is, a, that is a Saturday to dream of. I'm planning one mm-hmm. now for some of my close friends. And, you know, we're all old. Like, I'm on the young end and I'm in my mid-50s <laughs> of my group of friends and we are all really – like that's one thing we look to. We try to do it once a month. Like just go and like yeah. and like visit these distilleries, these people like you guys who are making amazing spirits in this town, focused on this town. In many cases, you using as many local ingredients as you can, Absolutely. including as we talked about today, local beer to make these amazing spirits. Thank you both for being here. John, thank you so much for coming down today and talking to us about everything going on at New Columbia. Thank you for having me. And Alex, thank you for coming down, talking to us, sharing all of these uh, great spirits with us and talking to us about them. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, as everybody knows, check out dcbeer.com for everything going on in the craft beer scene, a little bit of what's going on in the distilling scene. Uh, and follow us online at DC Beer on all the social medias. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the DC Beer Show. 